Numbers 22. We take on a story here that does not get a whole lot of attention, mostly because it is an extremely confusing story. It is one that uh, these people puzzled as to what in blazes is going on. It's been a while since we looked at it too. Uh, we've mentioned it a few times, and I think everybody knows about this, just about everybody knows about this story, but very few people really study it because it's not that attractive of a story. It's the story of Balaam and Balak. How many know those names? When was the last time you went over Numbers 22, 23, and 24 and went over their story, though? (laughs) It is um, kind of puzzling to figure out, is Balaam a good guy or a bad guy? And that's part of the confusing parts of the the story. But we're going to endeavor to take a look at this because it'll help us out in understanding some things about uh, the boundaries. So, let's take a look at Numbers 22, verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. Now, Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites, and Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because there were many. And Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. So, Moab said to the elders of Midian, Now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at the time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pathor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him. Now, in the previous chapter, if you went back one chapter, you would see that we had the incident of the bronze serpent that had gone on. You remember the the, uh, the things that had gone on with that? Uh, if not, you can go back and, and read that. And also the defeat of King Sihon of the Amorites and King Og of Bashan. So these two defeats had gone on. They were fresh in the mind of the Midianites and the Moabites. And generally, these two were not all that friendly with each other. But because uh, of some of the threats that were coming to them, including Israel, they had united and they had picked a particular king, Balak, to be king over them. Now this part here at the end, which says that he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor. How many of you, you know, you watch TV shows or sometimes in movies, and there's always somebody who knows people. You know, and their, their common phrase is, hey, I know a guy. All right? Hey, how many of you folks know a guy? If you need something, oh, I know a guy for that. And it could be a gal too, but usually the phrase goes, I know a guy. Well, apparently, uh, Balak knew a guy. His name was Balaam. Now it says here, in the, as we're reading it, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people. And so many have deduced from this that he is not of Midian or Moab. That he is from uh, a, a distance away and they went and got him and made him to be king. However, there is another interpretation of this. If you look in the margin of your Bibles, if you have one that has margins, not all Bibles have, and if you have one of those digital Bibles, it probably doesn't have a margin at all. But if it did have a margin, it would say something like this. It could also be interpreted sons of the people of Ameu. So I don't know which way it goes, and it really doesn't make too much difference for what we're looking at here today. So he could be, uh, Balaam could be of his people, but he also may not be. Now, have you ever heard of a particular uh, book, a set of records called the, and I, I hope the, I get the pronunciation of this right, the Zohar. Anybody ever heard of that? 
I sort of expected that reaction. The, um, this particular uh, book or compilation of, of uh, things is um, seen as a commentary on what is known as the Talmud or the, you know, Moses' books. It's basically a commentary on that. It is said to have been um, given by Moses. We don't know that for sure. But it's said to have been given by Moses, but it was passed down orally for a long, long time until finally, after a few centuries, they, they wrote it down. But it was passed on orally, and the Jewish people were very good at passing things down orally. Just because it was passed down orally didn't mean it was wrong. Um, they passed down the... Uh, we keep talking about possibly doing this, but you know with the, the Passover and the feast that they have over Passover. This was all passed down orally to the Jewish people. And if you've ever had one of these... Um, these done for you, it is amazing how much Jesus Christ is in the ceremony that is not in the Word of God. This is passed down orally by the Jewish people. Uh, so much so that the death and burial of him being dead three days, uh, and so much of the, of the, everything that went around the crucifixion was involved in the feast. It just, it's, a, it's so amazing that they just passed this thing down verbally. It's not written down anywhere. But they passed it down verbally. So just because the Jewish people passed it down verbally does not mean it's inaccurate. More so than any other people, they are not susceptible to the whisper down the lane things. And I don't know why. But for some reason, that's the way it is. So anyway, this particular commentary work that is out there, it says, uh, it makes this, um, says this about Balaam, that he himself had prophesied that Balak would become king. That was one of the things that he had spoke. Uh, it was also um, made mention of, of, of this that <clears throat> that uh, I'll actually read this for you. The Zohar records that when I hope I get this name right. I don't know how to say this at all in English. It doesn't make sense. The S I C H O N, Sichon, I some something like that. The the Amorite king was fighting Moab, and he hired Balaam and his father to curse the Moabites, and as a result, they won the war. So there was a bit of history that went on with Balaam and Balak. This is not the first occurrence of things. Now, Pethor, which is the city that he's uh, residing at, and I've looked at a number of different sources to figure out where this, this place is, it is about 400 miles away from where Moab is. Now, if you were to get in your car and travel 400 miles, you know that would be a sizable trip. It's not just something that you uh, that you just do. That's a... That's a good bit of mileage to cover. You could cover it in a day if with some good driving, but they didn't have, you know, SUVs and minivans and things of that nature to, to make the trip with. So they were probably on horseback and these messengers were sent from Balak to Balaam to get him to come. 400 miles they traveled. So keep that in mind as we go on through this. Now, Moab and Midian, they see Israel as not just a physical threat. Their numbers are, there's just so many of them. They're huge in number. But they also saw it as a spiritual one because they heard the things that their God was doing for them. So they were very much afraid. They knew if they were going to battle them, they had to battle them more on just the physical. They also had to get involved in the spiritual aspect of things, which is why they were calling on Balaam. Balaam 
is a counterpart to Moses. If you took a line down the Middle East, on the west side, Moses is the most influential person. Moses is the most well-known prophet of God, person of God that there is. But if you go on the other side, Balaam is the guy. That it seems like every time that there is something in the spiritual realm for God, the devil comes up and tries to make a counterfeit. And Balaam is that counterfeit. So here we go in this particular chapter. Not only do we have Israel facing Moab and the Midianites, we also have God's man Moses facing off with Balaam. And then he, in verse 5, Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, of Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. Therefore, please come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land, for I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviners' fee in their hand, and they came to Balaam and spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, Lodge here tonight, and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Now you may have read this story over a few times, but you may, maybe you remember this. Both times that he consulted with God or expected to hear from God, both times he expected to hear from God at night. Why doesn't he expect to hear from him in the daytime? It seems that he is more familiar, more at ease at hearing from God in the nighttime, which maybe speaks to hearing from him in a dream or whatever it might be. Now, he is known to the people that day as more of a sorcerer than a uh, prophet of God. So he said, Lodge here tonight, and I will tell you what the Lord speaks to me. Now, he says, Lord... And, of course, we had the phrase that, that was made of him, whomever you bless is blessed and whomever you curse is cursed. So it leads us to think that this is a good guy. This is God's man on the other side. Then God came to Balaam and said, Who are these men with you? Does God really need to ask? So Balaam said to God, Balak, the son of Zippor, king of Moab, has sent to me saying, look, a people has come out of Egypt and they cover the face of the earth. Come now, curse them for me. Perhaps I shall be able to overpower them and drive them out. And God said to Balaam, you shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people for they are blessed. If Balaam is truly a man of God, is it possible that he would not know of Israel and Abraham? Is there any possible way that a man of God could not know about Israel. I don't see how it's possible. If you are seeking after God, even if you are 400 miles away from them, is, are you not going to at least know about them in your conversations? Is not God going to say, hey, what about Abraham? Hey, what about Isaac and Jacob? Hey, what about the descendants of Israel? What about that part of the, of the sea? These things would get around. So the fact that he has to talk about, talk about them in this way, where there's a people, you know, they got a lot of people, Marilene, they're, they're over there camped out. Why didn't he just say Israel? Doesn't seem that he knows that it's Israel. 
So Balaam rose in the morning and said to the princes of Balak, Go back to your land, for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. And the princes of Moab rose and went to Balak and said, Balaam refuses to come with us. Now Balaam was looking for permission, not a mission. You see, most time when, when God commissioned Moses, he commissioned him on a mission. I want you to go to the land of Egypt and I want you to set my people free. I want you to lead them out. They had a mission. Joshua, he had a mission. He was not just given permission to do something. He had a mission. He is asking for permission to do something. Can you see a difference in that? He's not looking for God. God, send me out here and tell me what you want me to do. He wants permission to go with these guys. So he uh, he says, no, this is the will of God. You shall not go with them. You shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. That is the will of God. That is the word of God. From all that we know from the Old Testament, is God going to change his mind? This is the blessed people. It's blessed because of Abraham and the covenant that he has with Abraham. So Balaam comes back and he says, and well so, go back to your land for the Lord has refused to give me permission to go with you. So the princes make a 400 mile trek back after making 400 mile trek to them to come back and say we failed. We didn't, we didn't come. Now it says they brought a diviner's fee. I don't know what a diviner's fee was. Can you imagine making a 400 mile trek one way and then have to come back for a fee? Would you do it? Now these guys were probably on horses. Typically a person covers about 20 miles in a day, maybe 25 if you push it a little bit. Um, they probably covered more than that because they were probably on horseback and probably pushed the horses some. So it uh, probably took them a couple of weeks though to get there. And then they have to come back. Now, the Jewish writers tell us that Balaam also, this is not in the Word of God, not giving you with that authority, I'm just telling you the Jewish writers of this day, they, they tell us that when Balaam communicated this, he also communicated that first off, they did, he did not feel honored enough, and he did not feel that the princes they came were as dignified as they should be. That was what he communicated to them. I'm not sure if he came right out and said it, or if he just inferred that this was not enough to get him to go. So verse 15 picks up, Then Balak again sent princes more numerous and more honorable than they. And that may be what has inspired him to, to do this. So apparently he had princes who were more honorable, but he did not send them on the first trip. Probably if you had more honorable people, you, you didn't necessarily want to send him on a 400 mile trip. He probably had them there to greet him when he came. But these are honorable people, had a high, uh, high place in the kingdom. And uh, they don't have to make 400 mile trips to persuade somebody to come. But he uh, apparently, this was not working out. They have a history together. Balaam knows some things about his kingdom, about him, him being king. And he was expecting a little bit more maybe than what he showed. So to say no to them, uh, he probably agreed with God. You know, it's a whole lot easier to do what God says to do when you agree with God. You know, right? <laughs> yeah, God, I think that's a good thing. I'm going to agree with that. Yeah, I don't, I don't like who they sent me anyway. That was, that was kind of dishonoring just to send me just these handful of guys and 
I mean, they're not even all that high ranking. And then for a fee, <laughs> I can almost hear this guy saying this sort of stuff. Yeah, we'll go ahead and we'll tell him no. And he probably felt pretty good about having them go out. Then he begins to think, you know, the enemy can come and start sowing some seeds into your thinking. But you could have asked for more money. So they send more honorable than they. And they came to Balaam and they said to him, Thus says Balak, the son of Zippor, Please let nothing hinder you from coming to me, for I will certainly honor you greatly, and I will do whatever you say to me. Therefore, please come, curse this people for me. Write your own check. Just come on out here and just write your own check. I don't care what it is that you want, what it is that you need. I need you to come out here and curse these people for me. He's not asking them to come and speak words over them. He's saying, come out here and curse them for me. That's his purpose in bringing him out. He does not want anything else. And God has already said, you're not going to curse them. You're not going to curse. They are a blessed people. It's not going to happen. Then Balaam answered and said to the servants of Balak, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not go beyond the word of the Lord my God to do less or more. Now, does not, does not that sound like a man of God? Now, therefore, please also stay here tonight that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. Again, he's in the night thing. Verse 20. And God came to Balaam at night and said to him, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them, but only the word which I speak to you, that you shall do. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey, and went with the princes of Moab. Now, the problem with this passage is the next verse. Then God's anger was aroused because he went, and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. All right, now, didn't God just say? See, this is why people avoid this. See, most pastors with two cents would avoid this and not even mess, mess with this. We just... <laughs> I guess I don't, I don't have two cents, you know. We can mess with it every once in a while. <laughs> so here's, here's the problem that comes in. So God says, if the men come to call you, rise and go with them. So he rose and went with them and God's mad. Now doesn't that give you kind of a bad view about God? I mean, last night, you said go with them. This morning, you're mad. And you're standing in the way. I mean, which is it? Did you want me to go? Did you want me to stay? The answer is right in the passage. Verse uh, 20 again. If the men come to call you, rise and go with them but only the word which I speak to you that you shall do. So does he say go with them? He only said go with them if they come to call you. Now look what he did. So Balaam rose in the morning, saddled his donkey and went with the princes of Moab. Did they come calling? Now Balaam has servants. Who normally saddles your donkey? Your servants. Who saddled it this time? He did. Can you see a little bit of a change of attitude? He didn't wait for them to come and call. More than likely, they were going to come and call. You don't make a 400-mile trek and then just say, well, he said last night he's not going to go. Let's just go. No, you're going to wait around for a little bit longer and let's just see if we can 
if we can get this guy to go go alone. But um, Balaam, he didn't wait for that. See, he's been stewing on this. What more would they do? And he found out. So now God's his adversary. God's anger was aroused because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him and he was riding on his donkey and his two servants went, were with him. Now, we're going to get into the second difficult part of this passage in just a moment. As we we're telling you, more than likely these princes came on horses because these people were in the land. They, this had to happen quickly. So they're trying to make the trip as quickly as they can. They came all the way out here and he sends them back. So they got to make the 400 trip all the way back go back to get some other guys and then make the 400 mile trip back again. That's 1,200 miles we have covered on, four, on horseback. And what's he riding? A donkey. Uh-huh. That's kind of like you want to go down to the shore and you want to jump in your cart and go but one of the pe- persons in the party says, well, I'm going to ride my bike. And you have to wait for them riding their bike. But you've got the car. What do you think the other people are thinking with him bringing the donkey? I mean, come on, we got horses. They are much faster than donkeys. Why in the world do you want to ride a donkey? Can you think of another time in the Word of God where somebody saddled a donkey early in the morning on a mission. Mary is one. Can you think of another? Abraham. All these things are in relation to the birth of Christ. Abraham saddled his donkey to take his son up on Mount Moriah and sacrifice him, which is what opened the door for Jesus to be able to be sent as Messiah. And then, of course, with Mary and Joseph on the donkey. And he is going to bring his donkey. Do you think there was any pressure from the rest of the princes to leave the donkey home? Why is he so adamant about riding his donkey? I got a note on that. We'll give it to you here in a little bit. So God's anger was aroused because he went. And the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey and his two servants were with him. So he's got two servants with him. They could have saddled a donkey. They didn't. And so they're, they're walking along with him. So this is really a slow thing. If we're looking now, if, if they were able to cover it in a couple of weeks, you're looking at a 400 mile trek with a donkey and a couple of servants walking along the, the way there. You are looking at about a three or four week time to make this trip. I can imagine some people were getting a little bit frustrated. And that helps us understand the rest of this passage. Verse 26, Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in the narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. Oh, I missed missed some of my verses. Pick up 23. 23. I somehow did not put them in mine. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way of his drawn sword in his hand and the donkey turned aside out of the way. And went into the field, so Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. And the angel of the Lord stood in a narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. 
And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there is no way to turn either to the right hand or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's hunger was aroused and he struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey and he said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? And Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me, I wish there was a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to do this to you? And he said, No. Now most people look at this and they say, Who, who has a conversation with a donkey? <laughs> who does this? Most people don't have conversations with the donkeys. And if their donkey does talk to them, There's a little bit more of a reaction than just to respond to it. So I found a, a particular note in some of these, uh, these commentaries and some of these things that are written about the Talmud. And one of them is that this, this donkey has a special relationship with Balaam. And it was actually somewhat involved in the sorcery that Balaam did. And so the reason that he wanted to bring the donkey was in order to enact that sorcery that he used to delve into the spirit realm. I don't know. There was no note as to what he did with the donkey, how the donkey was used, but it may not be the first time this donkey has spoken to him. <laughs> I don't know. They didn't give any elaborate, uh, elaborate stuff in there, but apparently some of the Jewish writers from long, long, long ago, and they're making commentary about this, but I wrote these, these kind of things down. So that is a possibility because it does seem very odd that he has no reaction to a donkey opening his mouth and speaking to him. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw that the angel Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand and he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. Now the angel of the Lord, we've told you before, this is Jesus Christ. He is the only angel who accepts worship. All other worship, all other worship given to angels, they they, no, no, don't worship me. I'm just an angel. I'm just a messenger. But when the angel of the Lord is present, people bow down and worship. And he's fine. He is okay with that. So this is the angel of the Lord. This is Jesus Christ. When this angel has shown up in battle, thousands, tens of thousands, one time even almost 200,000 men died because this angel showed up. This angel showed up and slaughtered armies that came against the people of God. How much protection do you think a donkey would be to this angel? <laughs> Folks, this donkey could not stand in the way of the angel of God doing what he wants to do. So how is it that three times this donkey did something to stop what the angel Lord purposed to do? How is that possible? Did you ever ask yourself that question? How in the world did a donkey ever stop this? But because he squished up against the wall, the angel wasn't able to reach? Really? <laughs> a donkey is not going to stop the angel Lord from the purpose which he has. So if the purpose that we deduce from this is for the angel of the Lord to kill him, 
then our purpose is, our understanding of his purpose is wrong. The donkey did not stop the angel Lord from accomplishing his purpose. And I want you to get a little bit more of an overall scheme of this thing. That first off, the, the dignitaries that were sent were not the most honorable in the kingdom. They were dispatched. And more came back. These ones are more honorable. These ones are closer to the king. And there are more of them. And he's going to take his donkey along with him. And as he takes his donkey along with him, this is the man, Balaam. This is the man that Balak has sought after as someone whose words are powerful enough that he can curse Israel and he can, he can snatch a victory out of this. And yet in the presence of all these dignitaries and all these princes and all these people that are close to the king, in their very presence, they witnessed that his words could not control a donkey. That his own donkey would not be under control of this man. That's why he's humiliated. That's why he says, you embarrassed me. You humiliated me. If he was by himself, he wouldn't be. It was because of all these people that were there. Now, if you're one of the dignitaries and you are observing all this, first off, he has to come with his donkey. Can't ride one of our horses. He's got to ride a donkey. And then the donkey's giving him trouble. And he's over there being crazy, beating on the thing. And then all of a sudden, for whatever reason, he just gets off the donkey and falls down on the ground flat. They don't see the angel. He does. His eyes were open. The rest of her eyes are not opened. Now this man, this nut is now on the ground eating dirt. <laughs> so his donkey's going crazy. He can't control the donkey. He's beating the donkey. And then he gets off the donkey and he just bows down. The, what is wrong with this guy? You got to know that they're talking with each other. Are we, this, is the, this is the guy all of our hopes are in? We're hoping that this guy can curse these people? Who in the world? How, I thought the king knew a guy. We are, we are not sure what's going on here. Verse 28. Well, so where do we leave off at? We get all the way down to 31? Let's pick up a 32 then. <laughs> and the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. And that's way is not just direction in which you're going. That means your thoughts, the way you're carrying yourself, your intentions, all those things are, are in mind here. Your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would have killed you. By, or killed you by now and let her live. And Balaam said to the angel, Lord, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now therefore, if it displeases you, I will turn back. Then the angel of the Lord said to Balaam, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. 
Now, you see, he was going out there with the wrong attitude and the wrong way. God knew he was going to go out there with the wrong attitude and the wrong way. And so when the greater dignitaries were sent, you see, those first ones, if he was embarrassed in front of them, that wouldn't have changed him. But being embarrassed in front of this second group, these more honorable ones, this was going to have an effect upon him. And so when he came, he was humbled. God had humbled him there. Now, this does not last very long for the man, but it lasts for a little while. He says, Go with the men, but only the word that I speak to you, that you shall speak. So Balaam went with the princes of Balak. Does God need Balaam to speak good words over Israel? Absolutely not. He is not accomplishing any purpose on behalf of God. God does not need him there. God did not need him there before. But Balaam has decided to go. And so God is going to make sure that when he goes, he's not going to, stay, he's not going to do anything that would cause a problem. Not that his, he could speak evil and it's not going to cause a problem. But he does not want there to be any understanding that God is not for these people. Now, I made this note in my thing. You can write it down if you want to, but you can do the right thing with the wrong attitude or purpose and be entirely wrong. And when you do that, you will put God in an adversarial role against you. Doing the right thing, but doing it the wrong way. God can actually be your adversary. Verse 36, And when Balak heard that Balaam was coming, he went out to meet him. I think you actually put in parentheses there when Balak heard that Balaam was finally coming. But it doesn't say that. He went out to meet him at the city of Moab, which is on the border of Arnon, the boundary of the territory. And Balak said to Balaam, Did I not earnestly send to you, calling for you? Why did you not come to me? Am I not able to honor you? So he feels a little jilted at this thing. What? You don't know who I am? You don't know what I can do? You don't think I'd take care of you if you came out here? And Balaam said to Balak, look, I have come to you. In other words, knock it off, I'm here. (laughs) Now, have I any power at all to say anything? The word that God puts in my mouth, that I must speak. So Balaam went with Balak and they came to Kirjath Huzoth. Then Balak offered oxen and sheep and he sent some to Balaam, to the princes who were with him. And so it was the next day that Balak took Balaam, brought him up to the high places of Baal, that from there he might observe the extent of the people. Now, if you were truly a man of God, would you want to go to the high places of Baal? He's not offended by them for some reason. Verse uh, 1 of chapter 23, Then Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here and prepare for me seven bulls and seven rams. And Balak did just as Balaam had spoken and Balak and Balaam offered a bull and a ram on each altar. Now think about this. What are, who's supposed to be making sacrifices? The Levites. Any Levite present? No Levite are present. Balak is an idol worshiper. Any uh, reason that a man of God should be with an idol worshiper, worshiper making a sacrifice? And Balaam said to Balak, Stand by your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a desolate height and God met 
Balaam. And he said to him, I have prepared the seven altars and I have offered on, uh, on each a bull and a ram. And the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, said, Return to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he got a word. So he returned to him, and then he was standing by his burnt offering, and all the princes of Moab, and he took up his oracle and said, Balak the king of Moab has brought me from Aram, from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me, and, curse, uh, and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? And how shall I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced. For from the tops of the rocks I see him, and from the hills I behold him. There, a people dwelling alone, not reckoning itself among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob? One number, one-fourth of Israel. Or, or number, one-fourth of Israel. Let me die the death of the righteous, and let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, What have you done to me? I, I took you to curse my enemies, and look, you have blessed them bountifully. So he answered and said, Must I not take heed to speak what the Lord has put in my mouth? Hmm. Now understand that part of this is just credibility. Balaam knows that the only way to be credible is the things that you say have to come about. Now, if you speak a curse upon people that are not blessed of God, that curse will probably happen. If you speak something and put fear into people that are not Christians, then probably it will come about. Because if he can get you to fear, then he'll bring that about. That's why Christians, you should never be anywhere around people who tell fortunes. You should not go near them. I'm not saying that they cannot conjure up anything. I'm saying it's not something you want to have in your life. Because they will speak things that will probably put fear in you. And by putting that fear in, you begin to meditate on that fear, and that fear can come about. Stay out of their zones. People, I've heard Christians, Christian people, who go to, not this church, other churches, in other countries, far away. <laughs> but, but I've heard them. And, they, and they'll come and they'll say they were out at, at such and such and they heard some, some median or some palm reader or whatever it might be. They went there and they were speaking some things. to. Don't get near them. If you go there, they will get some things right. They will. Because the, the enemy has familiar spirits who are familiar with things that have gone on. People can speak to you about dead people. Things they said, things they did. And put it into the words of, of mediums and spiritualists and other and and they'll speak things. Did your so and so? Did your special someone or did your father or your mother or whoever it was say this? Yeah, they did. How did how did you know? Well, the word of God says familiar spirits. They're familiar with what they did. They saw it. They're just speaking it out, and they get you to believe. Don't do it. Do not go after those things. The word of God has warned numerous times. Stay out of it. There is some semblance of truth to what they will do. But you see, you will have a hard time separating the truth from the lie. The truth from the untruth. And you will begin to believe what was formerly untrue, making it come true in your life. Stay out of them. Stay away from them. You don't need to to hear it. You don't need to see it. Don't casually look at your horoscope just to see, well, let me just get a laugh for today. Do not get a laugh for today. Stay, stay away from it. 
Don't meddle in there. I just can't say it strong enough. Get away from the stuff. If you have a radio station and it likes to play horoscopes, I don't know who does that. I remember one time we were having some radio station on and they played a horoscope. Man, I couldn't get that thing off fast enough. I don't know what my sign is to know what they were saying about me. And if you know what it is, don't tell me because I don't care. <laughs> I have no care what it is. I don't look for it. I don't check it, check it out. I don't, I don't need that stuff. But um, I don't need no radio station telling me what a... I don't listen to stations that have that on anyway, but somehow we, we had one of those things on. This is decades ago. That was a long, long time ago. Because most of the, none of the Christian stations I know played that, so it must have been a news station. I haven't listened to a news station in a long, long time. A couple of decades ago, I used to listen to KYW for the, for the traffic. And, you know, I'd have it timed. All right, two minutes after the whatever it was. And I had to have it timed. And I was there just to catch it. I just would just catch it. As soon as I caught it, it's off. Get rid of the thing. But now, I don't need them. <laughs> we, got, we got our phones to tell us all the traffic info we, we need. So I don't need to hear anything about the traffic report. Glory to God for that. <laughs> I do not like them on my, on my radio. Now, I want you to notice something about this. People who can hear and see what is brewing in the spirit realm. People who can hear and see what is brewing in the spirit realm are not as special to God as people who can hear and see what is brewing in the spiritual realm and temper it with the will and the word of God. There are people who can hear what is going on in the spiritual realm, but they don't temper it with the will, the purpose, and the word of God. You see, when Balak first sent the messengers to Balaam, and Balaam went away to hear what God had to say. God said, you will not curse them. You cannot curse people that are blessed. He was very clear about it. Was God unclear? It was very clear. This is his will. This is his purpose. When they came the second time and they said, we want you to come and curse these people. He had the word of God on it. He didn't have to go and hear anything more. This is the people that had put the, their intentions against the people of God. But he did. Now God had a way. We're going to send him with more dignified people and we're going to humiliate him. <laughs> He's going to be humbled and uh, that'll change him going into it. But God didn't need him to go. He could have just said, no, I'm not going to go if he was truly a person of God. Understand this. People in the Christian church there are people in the Christian church who can tap into the realm of the Spirit and know some things that are going on in your life. But they will not temper it with the will of God. And they will speak some things to you that God does not desire to be spoken to you. People in the church will do this. People who seem like they have every intention to follow God. People who pray, who read the Bible, who go to church, who worship God, raise their hands and worship to God, do all sorts of things. They have the appearance of people of God. 
but they don't temper the Word of God that they get in the Spirit with what the will of God is in the Word. Those people are more rare and they are special to God. There are plenty of people who will speak stuff to you. I know some some people, my wife wants to, she has more people. She has hundreds of people on her Facebook. I probably have 20. No, I actually have more than that, but I don't know if it goes over 200. I, just, I don't have that many. <laughs> if, if you're on my Facebook page, you're special. Because I refuse more people than I... <laughs> it's, it's not because I'm anybody great. I just don't want them up there. That's just one of those. But she has uh, this, this one that comes on and, and she'll start reading something from this. This is, a, this is the person who came out of the school I came out of. Sat under the same people I sat under. And comes out with spiritual things and she'll say, what do you think of this? And she'll just read off what the, what the thing was. And I say, well, they're missing what the Word of God said over here. Or they're abusing what the Word of God said over here. And then she'll go over that the whole thing is that this person said. And I said, oh, I should have known it was something from this person. But you see, this person comes across very spiritual. Very godly. But I have a wall up against this person. This person never comes and tries to speak something to me. It's like, uh, No. See, because that's a person who, who taps into the realm of the Spirit but doesn't tap into the Word of God to buffer it. You see, because in the realm of the Spirit there is good and there is bad. Just because it's in the realm of the Spirit does not mean it's all good. What goes on in the Satan's kingdom is also in the realm of the Spirit. And there are people who can pick up on spiritual things. But God may say, that's not for you to say to them. And see, a servant of God will shut up and not say anything about it. Someone who's not submitted to God, no, I'm, they're going to see that I'm special, that I'm picking up on stuff. And, and they want the honor that comes from that. Just because somebody picks up something in the realm of the Spirit and speaks it to you does not make it true or make it what God wants you to do. You have to temper it. Now see, I look at a person's whole lifestyle. If their life is not tempered by the Word of God, by the things, the things they speak, I don't care what they say. I shut them down completely. There is a wall between me and them. They will never speak anything into my life because they don't honor the word. If they don't honor the word that I know in their life, how do I know what's going on elsewhere? I don't need that. Now see, just as God did not need Balaam to come and to bless these people there's a lot of people who want to speak into your life. You do not need the words that they have to speak. You don't need them. Don't ever feel like you do. Be careful. Because there's a whole lot going on in the church of God in the area of prophecy that is Satanish, that is more resembling the kingdom of Satan and the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of light. And you should be able to tell the difference between it. The Word of God says, test the spirits. Test the spirits. To know. Now, how many spirits does God have? He has one. Good answer. <laughs> he has one. How many spirits does the enemy have? He has many. But you see, his one voice can speak out over all the others. And if, when the Spirit of God speaks, it will always be consistent with the Word of God. Always. It will never veer off from the Word of God. Let's, go and, let's continue on here before we, before we end. 
Verse 13, Then Balak said to him, Please come to me to another place from which you may see them. You shall see only the outer part of them and shall not see them all. Curse them for me from there. As if proximity is going to change. Oh, I never looked at him from this light. Yeah, we should curse them. So he brought him to this field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars, an altar of a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, Stand here by your burnt offering while I meet the Lord over there. And the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, Go back to Balak, and thus you shall speak. So he came to him, and there he was standing by his burnt offering, and the princes of Moab were with him. And Balak said to him, What has the Lord spoken? Now the princes of Moab are there. said, This is the guy who's uh, got the, the donkey problem. This is the guy who can't keep his donkey under control. Can't ride a horse. This, this guy over here, they're probably sitting back there and says, this guy, really? All our hopes are in this guy? What has the Lord spoken? And he took up this oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the, a son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and, I will, and, and will he not do? Or has he spoken? And will he not make it good? Now, you're going to know a lot of these verses that are in these uh, prophecies. In fact, if you were raised Jewish, a lot of the words of Balaam are in their prayers. You wouldn't know that if you weren't raised Jewish. But if you were raised Jewish, the, the Jewish prayers they would teach them as they were growing up, they, they would pray, uh, has a lot of these uh, th- this content in it. God is not a man... Where do we leave off at? 19. Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed and I cannot reverse it. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt and he and has strengthened them or strengthened like a wild ox. For there is no sorcery against Jacob. Interesting choice of words, huh? nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. Look, a people rises like a lioness and lifts itself up like a lion. It shall not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, Neither curse them at all, nor bless them at all. So Balaam answered and said to them, Balak, did I, uh, did I not tell you, saying, All the Lord speaks, that I must do? Balaam has to have concern. That the words he speaks will come about. Don't you think so? He's got to have some concern that what he says will happen. Now you'll notice this if you are one who are to watch the news media, which I know no one here does. But every once in a while they have to throw in a true story. Because if everything they, they say is false then people just turn them off. So every once in a while, they have to throw in something true. Even once in a while, they have to uncover some stuff about people that they'd rather, rather not. But if they don't, they look foolish. Some of the times, they, they do polls. Not just polls for election, but they do polls. What do you think about this issue? And the whole reason they do polls is just to try and get you to... Uh, uh, they try and make up a story with polls or they try and persuade people's opinions with polls. But when they get close to an election, they have a poll and they say, you know, 51% of the people are on this side and 48% are on this side and, and whatever it might be. As they get closer to the actual election, which is what's actually going to tell you whether they were right or not, that you'll notice that they begin to change. 
because for the longest while they can put out anything you want to and say it's a pole. They can slant those things any way they want. But when they get closer to it and they actually have the election, they have to get closer to the reality of what's going on. Have you ever seen some people in the, in the, uh, after an election is over and the person who was supposed to win didn't win and the polls were showing something different and they say, this, this must be fraud. Our polls were showing... <laughs> they had more stock in their polls than they do in the, actually what came about. Actually what happened. Now, we're only about halfway through this story. Some of the juicy stuff is still to come. So we're going to spend some more time on this next... Now, I know you're all coming out here next Sunday expecting Christmas stories and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, we're, we're on a mission. <laughs> we're on a mission. We're talking about boundaries. Balaam had a boundary and he overstepped it. And he almost got himself killed. Because he wanted to do something that God said don't do. Because he wanted the money. Because he wanted the honor and the prestige. He desired that. And that can sometimes get us to do things we shouldn't do. Now I put four things in my outline. You just got blank space there. You can write these down if you want to. But you will be out of bounds if you are first off following the wrong leading. If you are following the wrong leading, you will be out of bounds. Wherever it is that you go, you will be in the wrong place. You've got to test the spirits. Make sure this is God telling you to do it. Because just because you follow a spiritual voice, just because you follow some kind of spiritual direction and go in a certain way does not mean you will go the way that God wants if you don't follow the right voice. Follow the wrong leading will get you out of bounds. Second thing, you will be out of bounds if you are in the wrong place. I think that's, we've already looked at that one before with the pillar. Had the pillar of cloud, the pillar of fire. If you weren't where the pillar of fire, the pillar of cloud was, you were in the wrong place. You had to be there. You will be out of bounds if you are in the right place, but the wrong way. Your way's not right. Your thinking's not right. Your purpose isn't right. You're there for the wrong reasons. You know, we can, we can do things for God with the wrong purpose. And the Word of God tells us then our works that we were hoping were spiritual works become flesh works. If what we do, we do for the honor of men, God says, then you got your glory. You got your reward. We've got to do the things that we do. You know, the Word of God talks about fasting. Do it in secret. Talks about praying. Go in your closet and pray in secret. If you go around and all you want is the glory and such that comes from those things, then you're in the right place, but the wrong way. Fix it. Here's the fourth one. In the right place, but speak the wrong words. I'm where I'm supposed to be. But if Balaam was not going to speak the words that God gave him, he went away to God. God gave him a word, put it in his mouth. He came out. If he didn't speak those words, that's not going to be good. He's going to be out of bounds. Say, I don't have the right to speak whatever words I want. I have to hear what God says and speak those words. Now, we're, we're really just laying a foundation here. We're going to show you, once you have this foundation, we're going to show you how this will impact your prayer life because I will bet that a whole lot of things we've done in prayer 
have actually been out of bounds. Well, no, that's not so. I saw so-and-so pray this way. Yeah, it wasn't out of bounds for them. But it was out of bounds for you. I'm going to show you some scriptures that will pinpoint it directly. will help you out on this. That some of the things that we have done were out of our reach. And the devil loves us to go after things that are out of our reach. Because if we do that and fail, we will no longer reach for those things that are, that are within it. He always wants you to go out of your boundaries. Always does. Don't be satisfied with what's in your sphere. Always be wanting to get out here. Just like with Adam and Eve. They got the entire garden. All the, all the trees of the field, the, the garden they can eat, except for one. One was out of bounds. And what did they want to do? They went that one. They went that one. Remember David? He already had a couple of wives. Saw Bathsheba up on the roof and said, I want that one. And he stepped out of bounds. And he got into trouble. Boy, so many times that the Word of God shows people got out of bounds and got themselves into trouble. But the more that we learn about the boundaries that we're supposed to operate in, and the more I get comfortable operating within the boundaries that God has set for me, the more those boundaries will expand. They don't expand because I reach for other things. They expand because I operate within the realm of where I'm supposed to be operating. I've shown myself faithful. And God says, all right, you got this down. That's God bigger. But you see, you'll get there because of the direction of God, not because of Balaam. Oh, I just want to have that. So that his way became perverse. And we're going to see, Balaam is not a man of God. He is not. He is a sorcerer. He's a man who can dabble into things that look like God as well as things that are satanic. And we're going to show you that beyond any shadow of a doubt next, next week when we get into this. And we'll show you what's, what goes on with, with him. And I say all that to let you know this. There are people in your life right now who have the appearance of being good and whom Satan can use for evil. Now, you don't have to be afraid. I'm not telling you any of that to be afraid. There is no reason to be afraid. Man, just go through life and enjoy yourself. Smile. Greet people. Hey, how you doing? Because you are the roadrunner. There's a whole lot of coyotes out there. but you're just a roadrunner. You do what God says to do. And even when the coyote paints the picture of the opening in the, of the tunnel, you can run right through it. Because <laughs> you're the roadrunner. You can go anywhere that God says to go, even if it's just a painted entrance that the enemy set up. And the enemy's going to think, you can't get through there. And you do. How did he do? Because God, when God says, go ahead, you can go. When God says, don't, I don't do it. You got to get that mentality down. No, you are the roadrunner. 
The enemy is the coyote. Do you ever see that road runner, road runner is ever afraid of the coyote? Never. Never once. Nor should you be. There are people all around who want your demise. There's people all around the enemy wants to use against you. You can just laugh at it. Because when you find out some of these things that are in the Word of God, they are so easy to see. It's like, I'd be afraid of you. I could spot you a mile away. It's not hard at all. Because what, what God wants to do, get you through life, it's not as difficult as we may think. Would you all stand up with me? Well, Father, we thank you that you have made us victorious. The enemy wants us to take that victory thinking and go into places that we're not called to go. To do things we're not called to do. To say things we don't have the faith to say. He wants us to extend our boundaries in a wrong way. Father, I thank you that your word is working in us. And you have shown us where we can go and what we can do. And we will be content in doing those things until the day you say, all right, now you can go further. I thank you, Father, that your intention is to take us further, to develop us, to make things in our life even better. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Anybody call Miss Phyllis over? Should clue them in. All right. Well, come on, come on up. Let's let's go over the praise reports, and then we'll we'll pray over our folks before they go. Always so wonderful to see each and every one of you. Um, I count it a privilege to be able to look at you all and just um, thank God for your being here. Um, we thank God for the word. Um, the word has touched each and every one of us. And as we go back and listen to what God has uh, richly given us today, um, we can apply it to our lives. And that's exactly what I, I want to do myself. Uh, we have two uh, prayer requests today. Um, we have one from our brother um, Hagus. He's having a court hearing on Friday for Social Security income uh, benefits, and he's just asking that we pray um, that he wins the hearing and gets approved. Um, and so we will, um, as we think about uh, the, the things that are facing different ones, we'll include that as uh, God giving him favor. Uh, we also want to um, pray for uh, someone that Candy has uh, made us aware of. This person works, it seems like, at her ACME, and she's having, she's, uh, we're praying for her that she uh, has a successful knee replacement. And uh, it has been done. So we're just praying that um, her healing is speedy and that um, she has a good outcome with no setbacks. And uh, she's always telling Candy that she's um, directly correct, connected to God. And we want our lives to be so that people can uh, be aware that we serve a mighty and a wonderful God and that they feel very comfortable uh, coming to us with different things. We have two praise reports here from uh, Jolly and Mercy. They're thanking God for his favor 
um, and them choosing a joint property last week uh, on Friday that if it was not for his favor, they would have walked away on the transaction. So we thank God for his direction because we don't, on the surface, we don't always know what we should do, but we thank God for his direction, and he will give us that. And praise, um, she's going to be with us, I think, a few weeks. Uh, she's home from school, and she thanks, she thanks God for uh, journeying mercies, that as she drove herself from school six hours, um, that's quite a feat, and um, she did it successfully. So we thank God for that. Um, this week, we're going to have caroling on Friday, December 20th. We're going to meet here at the church at 7 p.m., and uh, we'll head over to some of the local neighborhoods and sing some carols, greet some of the neighbors, and then we're going to return back to the church for hot chocolate, coffee, and cookies. So um, please let Alyssa know, she's sitting over here, if you let her know or um, the pastor on your way out if you plan to attend. So it sounds like it's going to be a lot of fun. I've never done caroling before, but um, I'm going to try to be a part of it. So um, here's Pastor Steve again. <laughs> 